I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. We're talking about email today, Megan. We are talking about email surveillance, and I get to introduce you to Michael's improv. Oh, yes. Is this the first time we're seeing that? Yes. It's the first time we're seeing it in action. So I'm thrilled and delighted by that. Yeah, that's I'm excited to talk about that because that kind of brings back to our early discussions of like Michael as failed comedian or something. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is bringing me back to his early like list of heroes. I remember you talking about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so very happy to get into that. You might be able to hear my cat meowing in the background. Oh, yeah, actually. <laughs> Munchkin's excited. Um, well, wait, so uh, any revisions and regrets Ooh, from the last episode? Yes, one big revision. So I oh. got an immediate response from my brother oh. about the episode. He says, in Mad Men, Don Draper wears boxers. So he said, no, they are not a thing of the 90s fascinating all yeah. right so michael jordan did not initiate boxers and i have to say i feel like that show probably did the historical research on men's underwear of the 60s i was gonna ask yeah like can we trust the historical accuracy now did yeah. your brother say anything about were they like silk boxers were they cotton did they have patterns you know what do we what's the text tyler i looked it up first of all you so did I did. Oh, I did. I did. I love yeah. you so, so much. Funny that first question is, so what's your source on the history of boxers? Um, Mad Men. But I, I got, yeah, I'm confident that they did their research so that I don't have to. But I looked into it and there are pictures and mostly it's just plain white cotton, I would believe. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like cotton shorts, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm picturing uh, soldiers you know, in that kind of attire, like, you know, you see yeah. the shots of soldiers in their barracks. I don't know. I'm really yeah. Yeah. on a limb here, but in their white, you know, undershirts and their white boxer, you know, boxers or whatever. Yeah. So, so um, maybe it's, maybe it's the cycle of fashion. You know, they always mm -hmm. say like women's hemlines, you know, go up and then they come down and then they go up again and it all cycles. And so maybe that's what it was. And maybe, Maybe the the sixties ish was an era of boxers, and then by the eighties, it was a clear underpants situation, and then yeah, it went for the briefs. Yep, it came back. So, or maybe it's a dialectic because then we moved into the boxer brief, you know, which is the synthesis Ooh, yeah. of the boxer and the brief. <laughs> There's a whole philosophy to be worked out here. Yeah, a hundred percent. So just just had to had to clear that for. Uh, any listeners who might be out there enraged by the misinformation that this podcast was spreading. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we followed up on that. Um, I got nothing. I'm ready to dive in if you are. Okay, let's do it. All right. Well, this episode is email surveillance. And in it, uh, Michael begins monitoring his staff's emails and discovers he was excluded from Jim's barbecue get together. Okay. Tyler, we've got to start at the beginning of this thing. Oh, yeah. Okay, so to summarize our opening scene, Michael is sitting in his office with the camera. He's doing a little interview about how it's another great day in Scranton. And he looks out the window to look at the beautiful day. And 
he sees a guy getting out of his car wearing a turban and he puts on his backpack and the guy's walking toward the office and Michael just starts to freak out. He picks up the phone, makes a quick call. Nobody answers fast enough. So he puts it back down and he says, there's no time to think about if this is real. And so he goes and he's like <laughs> putting the office in lockdown. He goes, he locks the door. He turns out the lights and he gets down on the ground to hide. Right. There's no time to think about if this is real. Tyler, what was your reaction to this scene? Uh, I thought, oh, this is... Well, okay. I don't know if this is interesting or not, but the two things I thought, number one was, um, especially on a rewatch, the camera work is really interesting. Like, especially when Michael runs out of the, um, his office to the door, the camera takes like a weird route where it kind of like pulls back from him and then tracks, you know, in parallel to him. Hmm. And it really is, it's super shaky and super, um, like you know like a handheld action scene or something and I thought oh that's an, it's an interesting um innovation in the sitcom format to have such a dynamic camera movement and of course you know like funny as a formal corollary to Michael's overreacting to seeing yeah. you know um a person of color <laughs> um but also uh I thought damn this show really is like post post 9-11 post-war on terror because i kept thinking oh you know the, the the references to big brother email surveillance is all about the patriot act and all of that is sort of in response to um you know 9-11 and then there's all this islamophobia and you know uh etc and so yeah i was like oh michael thinking he sees a terrorist is totally of that moment um so it really kind of marked it for me in time i don't know what was your thought yeah I thought the same. It was really, really interesting to me as a you know few years after 9-11 and um, the, the kind of oh, just that that intensity of the reaction and like the, the, there's no time to think about that. That line was just so striking to me. There's no time to think about if this is real and just the split reaction how quick yeah. it was. Yeah, this guy just walking up in his you know putting on his backpack. Um, but yeah, it felt like there was that fear of anything vaguely Middle Eastern or South Asian or sort of anywhere in the region that then gets attached and that we see with Michael. And I was thinking about, I I was thinking that you might really like this scene because of the way it's one of those jokes sort of similar to what we've talked about before. And, you know, how do you make how do you make a joke about this kind of white terror after yeah. 9-11 and doing it in a way that just makes such a fool of Michael and not of the IT guy at any point? Yeah, I was like, this is, yeah, I was like, oh, this, this really holds up, I think, as a, yeah, as a, yeah, as a joke about white um, uh, panic <laughs> or whatever, or an American, you know, a sort of white American, um, you know, uh, islamophobic yeah and and the other way that i like the way the joke plays out too is um the 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 cut uh like so he runs to the door you know locks it turns off the lights jim says like are we in danger or whatever i think kevin is like should i call the whatever and um and then we cut so we never see 
the moment of his realization (laughs) or everybody in the thing being like, wait a minute, that's the IT guy or whatever, you know, we just cut to him being like, we didn't get off to a great start. And I really, (laughs) that makes me laugh so hard. I think just like seeing him try to uh, (laughs) justify, not even, he's not justifying himself, but just to like, to, to have to narrate it after the fact when he's like, you know, confronted with his stupidity. So, um, yeah, I thought this was like an excellent (laughs) opening. Yeah. What a nice, tight, concise way of writing it in too, to give us the context, because it doesn't have to explain who he is. It just goes to the IT tech guy and me did not get off to a good start. So we just, you know, plant quick who he is, have Michael's reaction. One thing I just loved that I thought was so funny too is when, you know, when Kevin asks, what, what is it Kevin asks, you know, should I call the police or something like that? Yeah. And Michael does this thing with his hands, like kind of over the front of his face, like he's trying to keep quiet, but get them to shut up and communicating (laughs) it with a hand gesture that just has so much intensity and energy in it that I also just felt like that was a really strong physical moment. I have been appreciating um, Steve Carell on a few levels lately, but one of them is, uh, well, cause I Googled him for this episode uh, for some reason, but they brought up a picture of him as he looks now. And I was like, oh, he is hot now. Like yeah. with his glasses <laughs> and his, and his beard and his salt and pepper. I was like, okay, all right, Michael Scott. Um, found his look. Yeah. But also, um, and it comes, I'm trying to remember the moment Uh, I wrote it down um, where, oh, it's when he realizes that he's not invited to the, um, to the party. And he's like reading the guest list on the Evite and his Mm -hmm. eyes kind of twitch and it's like really small expressive moments, but like, you know, I'm like, wow, he is very effective at communicating like a range of difficult emotions. Like, cause that's about like embarrassment and, and um, upset and, yeah. you know, and the other thing, I'm, you know, I, I've been texting you because I watched ahead uh, some episodes because I was like, I need, I need mindless fun TV to, <laughs> as a release from the last couple of weeks. And um, the other thing, I don't know if we see much of it in this episode, but I've come to appreciate the moments when Michael, like, um, makes himself laugh kind of, where he snort, he like, almost is like snorting and he's like struggling to keep in his exuberance or something. And I'm like, man, like Steve Carell's performance is physically really interesting. Yes. The Carell verse is wide. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Would you, Oh yeah, go ahead. I just want to say while you're on the topic of looking forward there, I'm having this mixing situation in my mind because the IT guy comes back in a later episode. Really? talk about religion and he references being a Sikh and I kept because he was here I kept thinking that that scene was going to come yeah and I keep forgetting that it isn't in this episode so if I unintentionally talk about that scene as if it is in this episode just bring me back remind me I will I will <laughs> well speaking of th- getting things all confused did we know before this ep- did we have visual confirmation prior to this episode that Angela and Dwight were together I can't remember we did not have visual confirmation. It's such we a had, Yeah, I feel like we had subtle signals of it that if you go back, that I don't think not knowing 
I would have noticed them, but if you go back, you can see them. And so I feel like the most recent was when Dwight is bouncing on his, it's called a fitness orb, right? Yeah. <laughs> his fitness orb. And he's saying, you know, better core strength, better performance, better sex. And mm. Jim says, you're not having sex. And mm. Dwight just kind of looks at the camera in a way like, mm, I don't know. Uh, that I feel like is sort of suggestive. And I can't remember, but there were, there were a couple other little things like that. And actually, if we go all the way back to the episode where Angela has the first aid kit and it says something about, I think, being the safety officer, not Dwight. Yeah. Just these ways, not that that's a relationship, but just ways that they're kind of parallel. Yeah. Or ways that they seem to maybe fit together. Yeah. That are being planted in some way early on. Yeah, it's weird like watching and rewatching episodes mm-hmm. and sort of because like not that much happens in yeah. each episode. And so, and yet like there are these kind of narrative arcs that are uh, like unfurling, but in tiny little bits and pieces. So it's sometimes hard for me to remember the sequence. And yeah. I actually think that's really interesting, like how almost non dramatic certain moments are like you know the revelation here of of um Dwight and Angela or the confirmation I should say but also I was thinking about it even in the opening of this episode so and maybe this is true for others I'm not really my memory is really not as good as yours at tracing patterns across these things but I just it's really striking that even in the summary of the episode it's like as if it's in the title, it's like all about email surveillance, but that's not really what the episode is about. Like it's about the party and being excluded. Like, Uh and, but this opening sort of makes it seem like, and maybe it would be in a traditional sitcom that it would all be about Michael learning about the IT guy or the IT guy and Michael having tension that gets resolved or, you know, a misunderstanding that go, that carries over the course of the episode. Yeah. And like the IT guy goes to the party, like it's not like he disappears, but I'm just always kind of struck by how it sets up problems that could be confronted in like a highly conventional sitcom way and then doesn't. Um, and yeah. I have my other example of that is, um, and I actually thought this was like fascinating as uh-huh. a choice. So um, we know, okay, so like after the opening, we get the scene with Michael Michael learning basically that he can spy. Um, and we'll have to talk about that scene in a minute. But right after that, he walks out and Oscar is like, so you're spying on us? And, and I was like, in any other episode of television, they wouldn't find that out until like the last act or something, you know, like he would be spying on them and then they would, there strange things, happen, you know, so the fact that they know immediately <laughs> yeah it's so interesting like it takes away all the a certain kind of drama and then like gives us a different kind of drama um which I guess is him like lying failing to lie about it or something yeah you're right it makes it this really quick little arc that just kind of seems to sputter out I don't know like when I'm trying to throw a ball and I think it's going to be go really far and it's like you know, just immediately kind of dives. Not that I try to throw things that often, but um, that is really fascinating. And it made me, that made me think or wonder 
in your comparison to a more traditional sitcom kind of structure. So if this is about email surveillance, it's kind of like at the end of the episode, we would have learned some lesson about email or about email surveillance. When the tech guy shows up again at the party, Michael says he starts his initial reaction is, come on, that guy. But then he quickly catches himself and says, he's a good guy, not a terrorist. Right. right. So there's an echo back to that. But do you think he learned anything about email surveillance? <laughs> like, was there an email related lesson here? Uh, I don't, I think the only person who learned anything about that was Kevin, who's like, I got to go delete, I have to erase everything, which in my notes, my big question for you is, what do you think Kevin is going to be deleting? Is it just porn? Is that a joke? You think it's 100%. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about that where I was like, oh, it's interesting that like, it's tantalizing to think well, what is it that he wants to delete? But then it's also so obvious. And, yeah. and in that way, almost it raises some other question where it's like, why is he looking at porn at work? But of course, I'm sure <laughs> that people do that. Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it was a really interesting moment. But yeah, I don't think Michael learned. He did, I don't, did he even learn to have a better password? <laughs> Okay, we're gonna have to talk about his password for sure. But I feel like the only thing he learned is that the downside to spying on people's emails is you learn what they actually think of you and it's devastating. Yeah, that's right. That's that's so true. <laughs> I don't want to know what people say about me in their emails. Um, oh, don't you though? You wouldn't want to know? No, I would opt oh, out. You are so emotionally well-balanced in that way. Uh, you know, you're... You- <laughs> You protect yourself. Only in this one way. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not like uh, going that far. I'm just saying that uh, in this respect, you treat yourself right. Whereas I would, I would really want to know and then like (laughs) jump off a bridge or something. But here, this is a good personality type question. Yeah. Would you? So if you were given the opportunity to surveil emails, and let's remove any of the ethical part of the question out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is it invasive to them or anything like that? Let's just ignore that whole side of it and ask just for yourself, would you want to see, would you want to know? I feel like that's a good question for people. I think it's a great question, but I do think it's like, at least for me, and this is partly, you know, my sympathy for Michael partly is like, you want to, I want to know what people think about me, like, but far too much. Like, I don't want, I shouldn't care, but I do. And, you know, to some extent, I suppose we all do, but like, um, but yeah, you're right though. Like, what would you do with that information? Like, what's funny about what Michael does is he then, (laughs) instead of walking out and saying like, Hey, you're having a party. I'd love for you to invite me. Um, and then being either accepted or rejected, he does exactly what I would do, which is to be (laughs) super (laughs) passive aggressive about it. So the scene where they're like one by one walking out at the end of the day is really, really painful. It is really painful. And it's interesting that he takes that approach because everyone knows that he can see their emails. (laughs) Right. He's trying to be subtle about it, but at the same time, it becomes this unspoken thing and everyone knows what the thing is, but no one can speak. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, 
So wait, uh, about that moment though, uh, Michael, one of them, he goes into the lunch, he eats cup of noodles, which he calls brain food. Mm-hmm. And then talks about how great the parties were because the professors would come. Of course, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. Is that is that true? Do the professors get invited to the parties? But also, I, did Michael go to college? Do we know? This is exactly the question I had. Okay. Too. Well, let's let's separate them out. Okay, let's first do. Do the professors go to the parties? Um, I've never been invited to a student party with you. Me neither. No. <laughs> so Michael has it wrong. All right. I Unless mean, we're like not the cool professors you invite to parties, you know. Well, that's right. entirely possible. Yeah. <laughs> but, hmm. But Michael was not cool himself. So we also know that he's, even if he did go to college, he was making all of this up. Right. Anyway. But, Maybe Michael also was of an era where there was more sexual harassment of students by professors. Mm. Or maybe I shouldn't say more, but more open and accepted sexual harassment of students by professors, which feels, I don't know, it feels like if you're going to a lot of student parties, you're maybe getting into some (laughs) problematic territory. I'm just doing some quick secret Googling and it does sound like we will find out about his college, but it, really? un- un- I mean, it's on Wikipedia, but it's, they're don't, making- Don't spoil this for me, Tyler. You know- No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> but it also looks like it doesn't, that information isn't revealed until, you know, like I think maybe this season, but like much later. And again, that's interesting how they like pepper in these little uh, open questions, right? Like- Because when he was talking about Ryan, as a college boy, mm-hmm. it seemed like he didn't go to college or maybe just that he didn't go to business school. Like is, is Ryan doing an MBA? <laughs> we really need some. Yeah. It, I don't remember if it's even specified. Um, yeah. And Michael has a certificate of authenticity up on his wall for his watch, but not his degree. <laughs> so um, it made me wonder. So it made me wonder several things. Like, was this just a story because you know college parties is a thing and it felt like a thing for him that he could talk about in order to try to get invited to a party or did he just go for a couple years or something and have some of the experience but not get the degree like he thinks that Ryan is going to do I don't know but we'll find out right um yeah Ryan oh I was just thinking about Ryan a little bit but we'll come back to him later um okay noodles for a second yeah let's talk about that okay so i have recently rediscovered ramen noodles i actually haven't tried the cup of noodles brand i've had the whatever the kind of more standard ramen is i love it me too i love it so much okay how do you prepare them though oh i just fill it with water and microwave it okay and then do you put in the full spice packet what do you you know what i've been well so i was putting in the full spice packet But then people started commenting with concern about my sodium intake. (laughs) Always mention that. People always mention that. So I've been, I've been cutting it in half or doing like two thirds, which has been completely fine. It's yeah. Now I, okay. So that's how I used to prepare it. Then I had a friend in college and his suggestion, and I like this is to basically boil the water or whatever, you know, put the noodles in it for, a, you know, relatively brief amount of time, then pour out the water 
and oh. mix in the in the in the in the whatever the spice. Um, mm. So it's like less like a soup and more like a noodley situation, oh, um, which I really enjoy. But I will also say that I went through a period in graduate school, possibly a period of depression. Who can say? Where I would purchase ramen noodles and then eat them uncooked like chips. Um, oh. And the I found I, that is that when I lived with you? Probably. <laughs> and the the crunch is so satisfying. And I know the calories are really bad, but like, ah, it's so satisfying. And then when the pandemic hit, I'm gonna take this brief tangent, but Please do. um, I remember I was teaching and uh there was like I can't remember what town in New York, um, mm-hmm. the state that I'm in, uh had the national guard come in or whatever because of the numbers or something like that. And I was like, Oh, and they were talking about quarantines and I was like, ah, Oh crap, this might be real. And, um, well not real, but this might become a really, you know, serious thing. And, um, so I went to the grocery store and I remember being like, okay, if like, I need to get food that will last, what could I get where we could have three meals a day? And so it was like oatmeal (laughs) for breakfast, like, beans for lunch and ramen for dinner and so I got like the biggest case of ramen you've ever seen and then of course as you'll recall grocery stores didn't close or run out of food (laughs) and um and also I got bored and so I would just like be eating dry ramen noodles you know which um Jen would say it's like oh you're eating our like our survival stash number one and number two like please have some protein or something anyway so my brief ramen noodle story. What is your flavor? What's your, what's your, what flavor do you like? Well, you know what? I invested pretty heavily in the chicken. I got like 24 of them pretty recently, but then I tasted, I tried the beef and I found it really good. Yeah. Surprisingly. I don't know why I was, I was judging the beef poorly ahead of time, but, but it was delicious. So I'm hoping to go to, to, you know, once I finish the 24, I've committed to go into some of those. Does the cup of noodles have something different to offer? Is there like dried veggies or something in it? Or is it just literally the same thing? I do not know. That Mm. might be an avenue we need to explore. Oh, we could, you know, eat a cup of noodles and then go to Chili's? Yeah. Hear me out. Some office inspired cuisine. I really want to go to a Chili's. I got to tell you, I'm starting to get like Chili's commercials advertised to me again. And I think it's because of our conversations. So yeah. Serious, I was listening. Um, okay, going back to the scene right after the opening, um, I just wanted to mention Michael's password, which I believe is yeah. on a post-it note on his computer, and it is one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one, two, three, four. I think it's yeah, one, four. two, three, four, you're right. <laughs> I love how he sets it up too. So this is when he's talking to the IT guy, and he says, you guys have these things so password protected. And the IT guy says, that just means you have to enter your password. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And uh, and around that time is when he gives his monologue where he says, uh, things a boss doesn't share with employees, which are his salary, his bed, (laughs) and that he's surveilling their email. (laughs) (laughs) He's a man of ethics. Yeah, that really. I I did. I felt like the IT guy in the scene was just so good. Yeah, and the his face. So so Michael, when he discovers 
you know, that they can get in and they can search the emails. He has the IT guy do the search and he says something like search Michael boss and funny, or it's something like that. And just when it comes up and then he reads aloud Stanley's email that says, uh, Michael is an ass. And just looking at the IT guy's face, looks at the camera and he begins, his eyes are down and then he like kind of swoops them up to eye contact with the camera in just such a compelling way. I thought that was outstanding. So I actually had a question for you. I wrote it down. For me, this came up. This is a question we could probably ask of the entire series, but the moment that it came up for me was similar to this one, but it was when Pam was at the vending machine with Angela and she's mm-hmm. standing in a way where she really turns towards the camera and looks at us. And it's like this, you know, like, see, I was, I had a theory, you know, cause she's getting two candy bars or whatever. But my question is, are the glances to the cameras, um, do they have like content to them? Like, are they like statements uh, or, or are they the absence of statements? Because Sometimes it seems to me like they're explicitly discursive. Like in in Pam's case, I feel like she's saying, see, I was right about the relationship. Whereas in other moments, maybe the IT guys is like, oh my God, this guy's an idiot. But some of them feel more like relational or um, just like, ugh, like like an affect or something. Not so much a, I don't know. I was just curious what you think the function of the, the glance is. Yeah, that is really interesting. How was it you put that originally? Did they say something or do they not say something? Yeah, are they statements? Like, do they have content? Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's a great question. Yeah, I feel like you're right that sometimes they do. Sometimes it feels like it's a really clear message. And sometimes it feels like it's also making a connection. Mm. So the way, like when the, when the IT guy looks at the camera, it feels like there's this little moment of triumph for him. It's like this guy, you know, is kind of getting his, getting his due, but it feels like he's alone in the office with Michael, but it feels like he's then also establishing this connection and camaraderie and a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like a kind of complicity, not yeah. in a bad, not in the bad sense of that word, but in the like, you know, being in coots, I guess, sort of with somebody else. And so, yeah. yeah, there's something relational that I think happens with the camera too. Yeah, I wonder if it's a, like, is it looking to some normative space mm-hmm. outside of the craziness of a particular situation? It's like, oh the, yeah, the the key one is like, Dwight saying some batshit stuff and Jim looking to us like, really, you know, and we're supposed to agree. And it's, it takes him outside of this insular um, space of craziness. Yeah. Yeah. It also like shifts whatever the norm might be. Cause like if the normative audience is agreeing with Michael's racism, but Mm -hmm. the gaze looks at you Mm. A, and I, I don't know if it works but maybe that's how it like sort of shifts the mm. norm to be like you know no 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 this is bad behavior or something like that I don't know yeah yeah like it shifts the alliance of the audience sort of yeah that's yeah. a good word 
Um, yeah. What about evites? Do you remember those? Oh, I do. There are still evites. Are there? Are you just not getting any evitations? Ooh, I'm not. <laughs> clearly not. Wait, to, is that a ba- is are you having a party in the background of this podcast? It looks like a lot of people. <laughs> no, I actually have never sent an evite. Really? Yeah. Is yeah. it because you don't host parties? Is that it? That that's probably a part of it. Yeah, I don't think I've done one. Yeah, you're right. I like I don't get I don't get a lot, but yeah, they were a big they were a big thing. And it makes it has like the fancy envelope opening. Oh, Although yeah. now I wish I'd gone back and paid more attention to the structure of the evite that Michael is looking at. It did not look how I recall an evite, but maybe that's, you know, I mean, it's been a while for me. So, cause I feel like now it'd be like Google or not uh, Facebook groups or something or whatever it is that I hate that when people invite you to a Facebook event. I do too. Cause yeah. I'm like, I don't want to use Facebook. So I actually miss the evite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe we can work on bringing back the evite. Yeah. Cause on his evite, he can see who all was invited. Yes. And because the thing, the moment you talked about with his face is where he's looking through the list of people who are invited. Although I guess you can always see that. I don't know. This was maybe wrong. That's a good question. I don't know. I think you're right. Something about the layout was different. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, That's about all I've got to say about evites. Yeah, me too. Um, (laughs) Before we get to the party and the improv, I'm trying to see if there's anything else. The only thing I wanted to mention was uh Jim talking about he admits yes I'm having a party but he says he has three cases of imported beer yeah. I thought that was such a strange thing to say now that I am an yeah. adult who has drank beer <laughs> um but you are as far as I I think among my friends you are the most beer snob of or you're the most beer beer person you're like yeah. a beer person, right? Beer snob is fair. Although I also love Miller Lite, so I'm I'm really open to all the beers. I'm I'm open to the domestic light beers, but so this was definitely before craft beer became a really big. Oh, thing, I think again, whenever I start to venture into historical timelines, whether it's men's underwear or beer, I will likely be inaccurate, but that's a more recent growth. And especially that's this interesting. is a recent growth. So before I feel like imported, you know, if you're getting like Heineken or something, that's a little bit upscale. I see. You know, like that's kind of, if you want to be a little snobby, you don't go domestic, you go international. So it, that would that have been because your domestic choices are basically like Miller Bud Coors or in Pennsylvania, Yingling, um, something like that. Yeah, I guess so. Interesting. I think that's what we're usually sort of referring to. When When did the craft beer explosion occur? I want to say that it started 2007-ish. Oh, but maybe this was close to it. Also, I'm just completely projecting and making making up numbers. That's so interesting. No, but I think I think you're onto something. Well, because it, I mean, you know, I don't know much about beer, but just in terms of beer commercials, I do mm-hmm. remember a moment when like places like Miller and Bud and whatever really kind of tried to rebrand themselves as like if they were making craft beer or something, like 
Oh, yeah, um, you're right. Yeah, that's a good so, point. Uh, yeah. So they were clearly like suddenly competing. Anyway, yeah. it was just, oh, okay. That really explains a lot to me because I was like, what a strange phrase to yeah. say about what, how yeah. you, anyway. You're right. I think that that's pre-crafter because I feel like the biggest, I don't know, explosion of it, like it kind of grew and then I think it blew up maybe 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Or whatever, like we went on an epic journey to the Dogfish Head Brewery in what year would that have been? Like 2012 or something? That's right. Yeah. 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 So we were, we were checking out the craft. You're riding a wave. Yeah. You're riding a wave early. <laughs> I can't wait till your brother writes in and is like, um, actually. <laughs> My brother can be the actually guy. Um, actually. I don't know. I, I don't know that that's what he sounds like, but in my <laughs> rendering. Um, we, we but actually, we would really appreciate that. So don't hesitate. <laughs> so please do. Uh, okay, one other thing before we leave the office and go to the outside world is the candy bars in the vending machine. Everything is backward in the vending machine except oh. Baby Ruth. Oh. I guess it's one of those things where, you know, you get into the sort of product placement issues if everything right. is facing forward but it always bothers me a little bit to see all of these things backward yeah just come up with fake candy bars because they did that with jim soda like he's drinking a soda in close-up with michael and it's like it sort of vaguely looks like diet coke but it's not oh yeah they drink the off-brand off-brand soda mm. Yeah, they should. I would. That would be a request. That's a. That would be a, a suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if they can reshoot this or do some CGI. Yeah, cl clearly, I think that the office is excellent in almost all ways. But but that would be the piece of feedback I could offer for this episode. Agree. So the transition to <laughs> leaving the office, the part you mentioned that's really sad, uh, as people slowly exit and you know, Michael asks each of them what they're doing and they have all kinds of stories about what they're going to do. And Dwight is the last one. And Michael is telling him that he's just going to be hanging out with his improv buds. Ugh. He says, wouldn't miss it for the world. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. This isn't to, to Dwight. This is to Jim. Right? He says this I to think, Jim. Yeah. Doesn't he say, yeah, do you have yeah. plans? No. Or so, there's some back and forth about it. Yes, this is with Jim. So when he says, yeah, hang with my improv buds, wouldn't miss it for the world. But if something else came up, I definitely would not go. <laughs> <laughs> so he's trying, he's trying everything he can. Dwight is his last ditch effort. And he asked Dwight if he would watch the stupid show that he likes, which I think he's referring to Battlestar Galactica or something. Yes, yes. And Dwight says, no, you know, Dwight says he's leaving that he has practice and whether it's soccer or clarinet is a little bit confused. <laughs> I wrote but that too. Doesn't he say, doesn't Michael say, hey, too, Dwight? Yeah. <laughs> the, so like the Julius Caesar, hey, too, per day. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was like, nice. <laughs> great kind of elitist reference. I mean, I guess it's a very common popular culture, but it felt like a funny, a funny reference for Michael. <laughs> and then Dwight, of course, thinks, because Jim has told him this, that that Michael, that he's keeping a secret surprise. Yeah, yeah, he's keeping a surprise, but it's, yeah, Dwight here, his right-hand man has basically betrayed him. Do but you know he's betrayed him? You're right, because he thinks it's going to be a surprise. 
should Jim have invited Michael or not? What's your take? Oh, that's a great question. I think I would have caved, invited him and been mad about it. Yep. And really disappointed. And when Michael shows up at the party, it is clear, very quickly clear that Jim was making the right choice not inviting him. Because he kind of throws his jacket at Ryan and is like, hey, temp, you know, put this away. Or he just comes in and he's immediately kind of grabbing a lot of attention in sort of unpleasant way. What's so funny is that, I don't know how funny it is, but what what is funny to me is that in my memory of this episode, it was a completely different, um, it was basically the same events, but I Mm -hmm. had interpreted them differently. So in my memory of the, as I was watching it, I was like, huh, this is not what I remember. But what I remembered in quotes is that the party sucks and then Mm -hmm. Michael shows up and then by like embarrassing himself, by being kind of like shameless, he's able to draw everybody out at the party. And so it was like, oh, it was good. He showed up after all. That is not at all what happens. <laughs> and I think that I was maybe trying to like repair the, the, <laughs> the story in my mind or something wow. because Phyllis is singing karaoke before Michael does. Mm-hmm. And the party is, is totally like cooking and fine. Um, and it's not that the party is that much different after Michael's there. He's just kind of rude. And so when Jim goes up and sings with him, it's not like I didn't get, it felt more like Jim being nice to Michael rather than, uh, something about the collective having Mm -hmm. accepted Michael or Michael having repaired Israel. I don't know, but in my head, I had totally imagined it that Michael kind of saves the party. Huh? Well, you're actually making me want to go back and sort of rethink it and wonder how it's maybe a little more complicated and whether yeah so I was kind of thinking oh Michael comes in and he's this like this sort of awful presence but maybe he's not maybe he does bring a special spice but I did I did feel like that was such an act of kindness for Jim I thought you know I don't we've talked about how we don't always love Jim yeah but this is a most touching moment for me of Jim. So Michael is up there and he is, he chooses a duet for karaoke, which is just a bad choice for his part. And Jim is, so Michael's singing and he tries to do this sort of falsetto for the woman's part. And Jim does this little kind of pained head shake and he looks at him and he just, you can just see him really kind of empathizing with Michael. So he goes up and joins and it's just incredibly sweet. Yeah, you're right. I don't know why. I think I'm just so resistant to Jim at this point in the show. I don't know why. You're not willing to open up to this? But I did, I did, I did find it charming. I think, I think what I felt this time though was definitely like, huh, like what is what's happening here? And I think your read is right that it's like Jim sympathizes with him. But at the same time, I don't think the show is being like, oh, he should have invited him. Like, that's another, that again, like, that's the way I kind of like how it avoids a lot of sitcom tropes is that like, not only that people don't really learn anything and not only that like, uh, but like there are not, it's not like, um, like awkward, awkward or weird or bad social dynamics kind of ultimately work out in the end or something. I mean, I guess they do here, but like, 
yeah, I don't know. There, there's something just slightly off key still. And I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Cause it's the act of kindness crops up in this sort of weird separate way. It's not a lesson about being kind and including people from the start. Right. Right. It's just kind of helping somebody in that moment of suffering, if you will. And we see like Michael's improv group exclude him from another gathering yes. And yeah. like, it makes sense to exclude him because <laughs> it really does. It, it really tries does. so hard to tell him. I think this is something I really enjoyed about rewatching this episode was to think of Michael as having some kind of compulsion um, that he can't control in a way. And that like, um, and it's just interesting to watch, but like the, my, my favorite aspect of this whole episode is the improv class with Detective Michael Scarn kicking down doors and saying, FBI, yeah. put your hands up. Um, yeah, I was curious if you had thoughts on the improv of it all. A couple of things to start about his improv character. I love how he always kicks down the door <laughs> as a first step. And he changes his name. So he starts out, he's Michael Scarn. And then at one point he's Michael Schoon. Yeah. <laughs> So it's always Michael with an SC and an N at the end. <laughs> oh yeah. But he makes he mixes it up in the middle, but changes nothing else. Um, ooh, one thing I want to talk about is fashion. And I want to talk about fashion at the party, but Michael, mm. he's got his shirt here untucked. So he's still in his work clothes, but his shirt is untucked and looks way too long. He okay, so it starts out the group, they're in what appears to be a school and a classroom and they're kind of sitting around in the sort of small chairs in a circle and Michael gets paired up with Mary Beth for improv <laughs> and he rolls his eyes when he knows it's going to be the two of them and I gotta say she is pretty annoying she's the one what? Kind of oh, oh she does the little kid she's licking and yeah. a lollipop or something I gotta say I think Michael was right on her <laughs> I so I totally agree with him there. I love how it goes to the interview, and he says he, he talks about how like how powerful it is to start with a gun. He says that's why I always start with a gun because you can't top it. Yes, yes. This is really just his his strategy, and he goes so far he shoots the people who are not even in the scene. <laughs> to see the teacher try to like explain the rules to him was uh relatable <laughs> the teacher is one of my favorite things ever when he he tells him you can't just shoot everyone in the scene and then he says michael i want you to give me all the guns you have and oh so i love that it's the improv and he has michael hand over his guns and they keep coming you know his invisible yes. ones and yes. they holds his hands up to accept them and then you know kind of tosses them off to the side like a mime it, it yes. is exquisite like I don't know who came up with that choice but it is so goddamn funny <laughs> that is the word for it exquisite exquisite I do okay have you ever done improv and and also how do you feel about improv oh I absolutely hate it I mean I hate or for myself like the thought of going to an improv class is one of my worst fears. I absolutely hate it. And if I'm ever at an improv show, like when I've gone to Second City, 
for example, my biggest fear there is becoming one of those people who gets pulled up on stage. Oh God. This is just I a always wanted of, to go to Second City. What is that like? Is it cool? It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's very fun unless you unless you get on stage and then it's horrible. But I never have. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that many, I'm pretty sure that like Steve Carell and all of them are like from that scene. And so I bet, you know, there are some in-jokes here to are, people right. who, you know, have like done improv, you know, and poorly, but I, I no, I'm with you. I, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Wait, continue on this. I'll come back to that. Well, just that I did it in, so I was in a theater class in high school and did we you know we would do like improv exercises and I was really really bad at it and like it's frustrating because like I wanted to be good as an actor and Mm -hmm. I'm just like not a good actor in the same way that like I really wanted to write stories and I'm not great at writing stories Mm -hmm. um and uh I just would kind of like not really know how to make things happen, you know, like, or how to make choices that would be like logical within the scene. So I actually kind of related to Michael here where it's like, I don't know, like just do, uh, and so it's so funny to me when he's like, uh, he takes out his wallet or whatever, and they're doing the like fortune scene. Wow. And then he like, he, he, he makes an effort to try something different and then is completely frozen. And so just goes right back to his, his, his repeated habit. And I was just like, oh my God, I, I it was the the cringe that was relatable there. Uh Uh-huh. I think that that detail is so important. So that's one where they, so the, the guy is kind of knelt down and he's holding up his hands. And as they switch people in the scene, it's the new person who comes in, comes up with a new scene, right? Right his hands the the other guy he's with his hands were doing something else but michael comes up with the idea that it's you know like a what do you call that thing a crystal ball crystal ball yeah tell his fortune so he comes up with an idea and he has a starting place and you're right that he just kind of freezes and derails and can't come up with anything and so i think this little piece was so important for showing us that michael is terrible at improv yeah doesn't he doesn't go to the guns just because he's a jerk or just because he loves guns yes but he goes to the guns because it's the only thing he can come up with yeah and he likes as we we've seen right he likes uh uh action movies he wants to yeah. be james bond or whatever and so like if he's gonna act like why wouldn't he can't seem to get that there would be any other like type of scene or genre and so <laughs> And he's like, oh, I like this. This is my fantasy thing. But also, yeah, you can't top it. Yeah, it's yeah. really, you're, that's a great point that it really does show us like, oh, he's not, he doesn't know how to do this and he's not good yeah. at it. The um, fantasy thing is interesting because on the one hand, the Michael Scarn, the James Bond type is maybe his fantasy kind of persona, but also there are layers to it because his other fantasy is to be good at improv. Right, yes, you're right. <laughs> to be... Bob Hope, you know, funny or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, the 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 when they all leave and like uh, say that they're taking they what is, I want to read the line because it's so funny and so devastating. Um, yeah. They have to do another group improv in order to exclude Michael. Basically, yeah. And he says, um, "Okay, uh, okay." But, okay, so Michael says, Bernie's, huh? We're going to Bernie's. 
And uh, the, the, the guy says, oh, sorry, we're not going as a group. It's just a private friend who just happens to know all of us from different ways is throwing a birthday thing, a private birthday thing. So it's a private friend who just happens to know all of us from different ways is throwing a private birthday party thing. Um, oh man, I just, it makes me really laugh. Yeah, it is devastating. And devastating, completely devastating. Um, then we go back to the party and uh, one scene that really stuck out to me, because I feel like we got to talk about, you know, the Jim Pam, Angela Dwight parallel and certainly the Jim's bedroom. I have a lot of questions for you about oh, yeah. men's yeah. bedrooms, but um, <laughs> but just a quick throwaway scene that was super relatable to me, uh, especially like as an academic, you know, I don't know if this, but probably true for lots of people. But when um, Oscar... Uh, uh, Stanley and um, Kelly, or is that who it is? They're all yeah. standing around talking about um, paper. And mm -hmm. Kelly's like, can we please not talk about that? And they don't have anything to talk about. And I was just yeah. like, yes, so many times I've been at social functions or, or have tried to have out, you know, social gatherings outside of work. And it's like the temptation to just talk about work stuff and the worst work stuff, not like even ideas but to be like oh okay so we got to worry about this on the curriculum committee yeah year. it's like oh no, no 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 like but that's what you have in common yeah so it's really hard to not talk about that but you don't want your whole anyway yeah that really that, stood out to me that is what you have in common and I guess conversations where you try to break out of the thing you have in common are the other form of improv maybe in this episode and it's well, that's beautiful stresses that that stresses me out too when kelly says that i'm like no <laughs> just let them talk about just let them talk about paper because it's hard i always want to be a person who's who's better at that you know coming up with different things to talk and i think i think sort of like improv it helps to have a sort of lower level of self-consciousness yeah <laughs> uh but yeah yeah, that's a definitely. really beautiful point. I love that. I hadn't thought about that, but that is that helps explain partly a lot of Michael's character too, right? Like he often mm -hmm. talks in poor cliches, like cliches he doesn't yeah. quite understand, or he tries to repeat jokes, but he can't quite get them right. So it's like he can't improv in actual life either. And so you're pointing out the show is showing us that like so much of social life is this kind of delicate improv like because that's what's weird about improv right it's like you're always kind of working from a kind of vague script it's got to be recognizable yeah yeah but then on the other hand it has to feel immediate and authentic and that's what social life is that's what makes it so yeah. difficult man that's a smart point Megan I really you, hadn't... you made this into a way way better point than I had no but... that's you that's you that's really interesting love it where you took that related so the thing about you know so, social life and improv Michael also tries to improv this is the very final scene he also tries to improv to the camera yeah. and he's telling the story he wants to tell the story about himself getting into improv and so he kind of tells this story about a race car driver but he cannot, he struggles and he 
cannot get it out as he's starting to get into it. So it's so awkward. And he just, I, I don't know. I just love how awkward it is, how much he tries to do it and kind of can't put it together. But then he says, and that was an improv <laughs> in the end. So it's this whole thing to kind of impress with his improv skills that don't really show up. And then he says the real way that I, the real way was that I found a flyer. Right, 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 right. It's so, well, first, I had completely forgot that it ends on that. Mm -hmm. How lovely that you made that. I, I do, I would not have, that's such an interesting connection. But then also too, that like, he can't get his head around the idea that like, you don't have to be impressing people all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can just say, oh, this, I found, this is how I got to improv. I found this flyer. This is what it is. And that, yeah. that might be, you might be interesting because you're mundane. Like you don't have to, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be a race car driver yeah, right. pulling up to you out of nowhere. And just so pleased though, that Michael has an extracurricular activity. I, I don't feel like I many men or many people in general, his age have an extracurricular activity that they're enrolled in. So, so I think that that's great news, but Back to the party. We had a couple of other things for the party. Yeah. Well, what did you make of Jim's bedroom and the scene in Jed's be Jim's bedroom with Pam? Mm -hmm. So some of the items I was trying to observe. Did you notice some other of the, the items that are in his room? So he has a guitar. Yes. Notice that. Dunder Mifflin binder. There's a penguin. Mm -hmm. He has an Apple laptop. He has some pictures on the walls. One of them looks kind of comic-y or yeah. uh, not anime. I don't know. I, I couldn't, I kind of missed it. It went by too quickly. I couldn't quite identify it, but I don't know. I was just trying to think what, yeah, what, what is the sort of assembly of objects that he's, that he's got here and what do they do? I, I don't know. I mean, it felt very uh, I don't know. It felt like a young, young man's bedroom. It did. It felt like a young straight man's bedroom. Yeah. And yeah. His comforter is so ugly. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure like I've had that comforter <laughs> at some point. What did it look like? I don't remember, but I absolutely like striped, you know, kind of ugly colors with stripes yeah. and there's it's nothing just, deliberate, it seems, about, yeah. like, there's nothing, uh, nothing stylized or no. designed about this bedroom. And the comforter looked really thin and, uh, I don't know, scratchy. <laughs> I was just like, ugh, I don't want to have sex on that, Jim. Like, get a new comforter. But also, like, he set up his room, he set up his room to look kind of like a dorm room. Like, the, the desk is yeah, next to the bed. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, is he in, did he go to college? Is he in college? Like, what is this? And it just felt like if you turned khaki pants into a bedroom, that's what it was to me. And I couldn't, but it was such like an anti-style that I couldn't tell if it was a choice. Like they purposely put kind of blandness on the screen or whether it was just, you know, um, the early 2000s or something. I will say my one criticism is like, I didn't feel like the posters on the wall made any sense. Like one of them yeah. was about bicycles, I think. And one looked like one of those French bistro, you know, kind of type 
things. And then another one had like a brain cloud or something, you know, it was, it was yeah. weird. And I was like, no, what we know on him should be like some basketball player maybe. And then like, I don't know, maybe yeah. something ironic, like a something ironic. I don't know what yeah. would be, but I don't know. And maybe it is then that kind of thrown together bedroom without a plan or without a style the kind of college guy room and that is you know i happened i just happened to acquire this poster at one point so it's up right right but it's not like a thought out i think this guy could use a little of the uh marie kondo yeah (laughs) this guy he needs to uh he needs to clear some things out i think it is way too cluttered but he has pam essentially sit on his bed right and look at his yearbook and this is where I thought that you were going to have a transformation on Jim because I did school before and now we find out and I think it's really really important how cool or not cool you were in high school and Pam sees his yearbook picture and just is laughing kind of beyond control you were so dorky you know she just laughs I feel like so genuinely and with such joy you were so dorky it is yeah it's a really charming scene and I mean a the dorkiness b I think the kind of there is something very sweet about the like sitting on the bed all of the you know we can see that he's like living out the a moment that he's dreamt of or fantasized about I want to have her over you know because the way that he talks about the tour of the apartment and he waits for her to be there, you know, and then, yeah. Um, and there's something very charged about, you know, being in somebody's bedroom for the first time, you know, and like the things that you're not saying, but you're thinking or thinking or wanting to think or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, I thought it was actually like really sweet. And yeah, the fact that he's dorky, I hadn't thought enough about that. I was like, is he dorky or is she just saying he's dorky? But you're right. He is. He's dorky. All yeah. Right, fair enough. Fair. I thought that was, it's very, I thought you might find it redeeming. It is. It is. It is. I how you feel about, um, because I guess it gives him, because even if he's kind of cool, then on the other side, you know, like once he's grown, that affects you. This is your theory always. This is my theory. This is always my theory. <laughs> like so when we when we do our companion bachelor podcast, I feel like <laughs> this is key to your um bo- and perhaps both of our attractions to any of the contestants is like <laughs> when they reveal their secret childhood insecurity. And I'm like, all right, now I'm in. Completely. Yeah. I saw that yearbook picture. I'm like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> um I, I yeah wait this just this is a whole new concept for us to introduce I feel like to the bachelor is that they should get to see their high school pictures. <gasps> oh my god yes yeah they don't actually talk enough about like they that do not. they do not <laughs> we're branching off into our bachelor <laughs> podcast right here uh <laughs> separate thing returning to the office yeah, I guess I don't have too much more to say about the uh, Jim and Pam other than this felt like a really big moment for him. And I still don't understand what she thinks is happening because Phyllis says to her, oh, you got, you know, she misinterprets the thing, thinks that she's talking about her yeah. and Jim. And then she's like, ends the episode by being like, oh, people can just be friends or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, what do you want? You know, what do you, 
there is there are moments watching their relationship and not it's not only this episode but in others where i'm like if they were queer in any way this show would not happen like like i feel like they would much earlier just be like hey i'm really into you like or um or that maybe pam would have an open relationship or there would just be some like expressiveness around like oh yeah like yeah we all have crushes and there's no shame about that so we can just admit that and like you know what like all of the drama is predicated yeah. on the shattering trauma of having a crush on somebody that is also your friend <laughs> and it feels like that is like a particular problem of heteronormativity that that she's articulating because it's like well you can't be friends with men as a woman, as a straight woman. Yeah, I don't know, I, I, I don't know. Just the seething, silent tension of straightness. But it's also hot. I mean, there's something, or not hot, but well, it is, but also like <laughs> the slow burn thing yes. works because yeah. it's what desire is, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I like, I agree. Totally like the slow burn. I have really one more topic uh, that I wanted to address today. This is related to Jim's room and the style choice of Jim's room. And I just wanted to do a little fashion rundown and see if you had any thoughts about what people are wearing. And I want to give some credit to the Gilmore Guys podcast because it is a podcast with two guys, uh, Demi and Kevin, if you're listening, come on the show. But they, they go through episode by episode for all of the Gilmore girls. And they have this section um, called Fashion Report and they talk about the fashion of the show. And I felt like it was interesting them going outside the office because they're all outside of their standard mm. except for Michael, who's the only one who shows up still in his suit. That's a great so, point. Let me just drop some points. You can see if there are any of these that stand out to you or are of interest. So Oscar has a red sweater. Mm. They also moved a little quickly. So as I was typing, I didn't, I didn't get all the details, but Oscar's wearing a red sweater. Jim has a striped blue and yellow sweater, mm -hmm. wide blue stripes, thin yellow stripes, little V-neck, I believe. Not a deep V, but a shallow V. Um, Dwight has a military jacket, an open button-down shirt, then it's over a t-shirt, and the Birkenstocks. <laughs> the Birkenstocks with socks. Birkenstocks with socks, yes, key component there. Phyllis has, I would describe it as a fuchsia, shirt and a kind of sparkly scarf yep kevin has an open green button-down shirt over a t-shirt i believe and he has a hat yes. he has kind of a cool hat pam has a brown shirt long sleeves jeans buttons kind of white buttons at the top of the shirt this is really interesting <laughs> i feel like i'm just reporting some really boring news but i i've got to cover it all ryan is wearing a black I believe it's like a quarter zip shirt or maybe it's dark blue. Yeah. Angela, purple turtleneck mm. with a gray sweater over it. She's introducing some purple. Stanley has a sweater that's got, I guess it's like kind of argyle-ish, you know, it's got the diamonds on it. And then Meredith has a jean vest with mm. a black shirt underneath and she's showing a little midriff at some point. Uh, well, that makes sense for Meredith. Not right? a lot, but a little, yeah, right. yeah. And she's got eyeliner, which she didn't doesn't usually have at the office, I believe. So any reflections on the fashion? Well, it's interesting. Like, I, I'm always kind of curious with these characters, like how much do they base like 
like, I don't feel like we know too much about Meredith yet, you know, like, do we, you know, but like, so do they kind of come up with the style choices first and then elaborate narratively like, oh, okay, so she's gonna, you know, be a sexual, uh, you know, she's kind of represented as promiscuous or something, right? Like later. It's like the Chekhov's gun thing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> if Chekhov's you, midriff. Uh, if you do this, you have to follow up. So if you make a fashion choice, you're going to have to follow up. <laughs> or that Kevin is like, uh, isn't he? He's like a musician or some type, you know, yeah. something. Or I don't remember. I feel like the hat here is the first indication that Kevin might be a little cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know, but I mean, I'm struck definitely by Angela's turtleneck. That sounds right yeah, to me. Yeah. Um, Pam's kind of, they're not like cool jeans. No. Her, I'm always like, my big thing with Pam is like paying attention to her ha- hair in every episode. I feel like her hair yeah. is a character in and of itself mm-hmm. in the show. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on uh, those style choices? I feel like, okay, yeah. So I feel like for Kevin, the hat is important. For Pam, the brown shirt, and then she also has a brown jacket that she puts over it, and it just seems so, it's kind of blah in the way that Jim's room is. I just don't think it's a great color for her, Mm -hmm. and it just looks boring. And you know what it is? Maybe it's that it's safe, that her work, like her work outfits are like this. I think the brown shirt is like this. You know, it's picking a neutral color, but a neutral that's not potentially edgy like black would be, mm-hmm. for example, like as we see with Meredith. Right. Um, but it's just picking a really safe and kind of bland. And I I like it because I think it makes her seem just very normal. Right. You know, the clothes that we choose are not always the best. That's so a different a different read on her shirt than me. No, I mean, well, I didn't pay that close attention to it, I must admit, and I'm colorblind. So I, this is, I'm like in. Well, that's part of why I had to give you all the color rough details. territory. But I would say that, uh, yeah, I think your description is totally right on for like kind of how it signifies. It's just interesting. I'd like to think more as we go on about like what signifies as normal and like yeah, why, yeah. why does the, why does the bland. Yeah. Know, represent norm, normalcy or like a certain type of kind of indescript nondescript yeah yeah but but also it reminds me too it's like as the show goes on I recall Pam and Jim like kind of looking nicer like looking more like movie stars and it pissed me off because I was like no like part of what's interesting is the is exactly what you just said it's like in our daily lives we do not like we rarely look nice (laughs) you know what I mean like it's a more of a special occasion that we're that we're right. Yeah. Over. So I don't know. I could not agree with you more. I love it here how they look, like how regular they look and, you know, kind of washed out and not yeah. that put together. And even when you get put together, it's not like you've been stylized. Exactly. You know? Yes. 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 Um, by a professional. So, like, clearly, Jim, Jim did not have an interior designer do his room. And at this point in the show, clearly it's not. Uh, a kind of the same stylized look. I mean, I think it's really deliberately not, really yeah. deliberately at this point, not style or not show, not looking like it is stylized. 
which is itself a kind of stylization, I guess. But <clears throat> but yeah, that changes, and I I'm really happy with it now. With the yeah, kind of me too. And it, yeah, I'm excited to. We got to keep keep an eye on this. But for now, we do. Big question: Dundee yeah. of the week. Dundee of. This was an easy one for me. I'm curious if it was easy for you. I, I feel like we might have the same. <laughs> we'll I'm pretty see. sure we don't. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. You go first. Okay. So I have two. I have two. And my Dundies today are for side characters who really played an important role, both nameless, I believe, but the IT tech guy and the improv teacher. I felt like they both had wonderful strategies for dealing with Michael. And the improv teacher has had more experience with Michael than the IT tech guy, I think, um, clearly, but I felt like they both just brought great strategies to the table and brought a lot of life and joy to the episode. I love it. We almost had the same, but we did not. Okay. Because my Dundee of the week is for the Staying in Character Award, and it oh. goes to Bill. And Bill is the guy who plays the fortune teller in the improv scene. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> and what I love about Bill is that moment when Michael like leans in and whispers in his ear, <laughs> and then he like slowly puts his hands up. <laughs> And he stays in the scene and he stays in character. And then the teacher's like, what did he say to you? You know, <laughs> I just, uh, and then great. Bill gets a second. Well, and also he gets that great moment too, right before that, when Michael doesn't pull a gun on him and says like, oh, I have my wallet. And he looks like shocked, but kind of like goes with it, yeah. stays in character. And then um, when he improvs the line about, uh, we're all separately going to a private birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh i appreciated his his boundaries there you know so bill stays in character and he and he knows uh how to how to have good boundaries so good for him we had we had a lot of a lot of really deserving winners this week yeah yeah so, so what's the next episode next time big news for you tyler okay this party oh <gasps> it's a holiday your episode your first official Christmas episode. So we yes. have Halloween. We got that as your first, your first holiday, but now we have an official Christmas, which is like the classic holiday. It's going to be like Christmas in April for me. So I'm so, so excited. Oh, I can't wait. I look forward to. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye.